Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Peak Earth. I'm Case Bradford. In this conversation with Sam Sager, we discuss Sam becoming a new father, his experience with his new daughter. We talk about the power of breath and how to integrate that modality into your life to elevate your body-mind. We also discuss something called a frontier species and how that can be used to amplify the soil to form a vibrant food forest among many more things Sam has a wealth of knowledge i really enjoyed our conversation i hope you do as well thank you for tuning in i'm joined by sam sager how are you i am doing great case i'm pumped to be here glad to hear it excited to dive into this conversation we've recorded a podcast on your podcast called the self-renewal podcast and that was awesome i had a really fun time we talked a lot about intuitive exercise and movement practice overall we both really enjoy movement practice exercise fitness i don't know health and, and intuition and um we've had conversations outside of the podcast as well on similar topics and have, have you been exploring more of that stuff on your own i remember last time uh, we talked you were going to work on things like handstands and, and macacos and kind of some of these more exploratory <laughs> movements. How has uh, progress been on those? Yeah, for sure. I mean, as, as soon as I kind of go deep in the body and, and I think I'm uncovering a new exciting movement, I, I kind of pop up into your world and see the things that you're doing, these these backflips and handstands. And, and my background is much more in traditional strength training and you know athletic pursuits. And so that's completely new terrain for me. And so I've been playing a lot with the handstand. I I feel more comfortable in that. I will say the the backflip. I'm I'm quite far from from getting there. So we have more work to do together, and I uh, I'll continue to take inspiration from you for that. Nice the backflip backflip itself. I haven't haven't gotten to that level yet. But the macaco looks. It's sort of like a cartwheel sort of backflip thing where you are going backwards like a backflip, but then you've got a hand or two down, sort of like a cartwheel. So it it does look harder than it is but it's also some of these things are really difficult to to translate through like remotely it's a lot easier to have someone there to sort of like show it and see it yeah case says that about everything he's like oh yeah it's just so much easier than you think and then you try it in your own body and you're like well it's pretty hard uh but no I, I mean the the fun and creativity of just exploring what my body is capable of and and experimenting i'm, I'm having an absolute blast with it awesome awesome and you touched on your traditional background with strength training what was what was that like how deep does that go and and what was that journey how'd that journey play out for you so I started just through sports like a lot of people growing up I was a baseball player my whole life I played football in high school ended up playing baseball in college and so exercise was always a kind of very natural thing to do to get faster stronger for sport and so I loved it from that. It was very externally driven, goal-centric. And when I came out of that and retired after college, it was like, well, what, what do I do now? And I just lost kind of the joy of exercise and, and the fun of it. Um, and so I, I'd say the last 10 years are really rediscovering that for myself. And so the threads there were going super deep on strength training through kind of more traditional personal training and just wanting to understand how to help other people discover that. But then on the other side of it is realizing the whole kind of intrinsic motivation and kind of what you or I might talk about more intuitive exercise, where instead of it chasing, you know, just gaining strength or gaining muscle, doing so more for just the joy of the movement itself. And so that's been more of a emergent theme in the last five years and something that I've become more and more excited about. You have a favorite moment that you remember from your baseball days, from, from playing ball? Oh, you're bringing me back to the glory days. Yeah, I do. Sophomore year of college, I, I um, 
was up at bat, ninth inning tie game, playing our rivals. This is a team that had won the national championship a couple of years ago and had just been beating us year after year. And I hit a walk-off home run um, to beat them for the first time. And it was the year in which our team ended up winning the league. And it kind of, it was, it was just a, a beautiful moment. And both my sisters actually went to that school. And so it was, uh, it was just a really satisfying, like, I'll never forget that feeling of just trotting around the bases and just basking in the walk-off home run. That's awesome. Wow. How about in the past few years, have any moments in your life stood up to that, rivaled that, and maybe surpassed, surpassed that moment? Well, Case, I feel like you're, you're setting me up here if I say anything other than the birth of our daughter that, uh, that I'm going to get in trouble. Um, so, that, I mean, the, you know, it's cliche, but the, just you know, the whole experience of our daughter being born, I, I can't put it into words, but it was, it was freaking magical. Um, and just seeing her for the first time and kind of getting to meet her was, was beautiful. Definitely tops a, a walk-off home run. <laughs> Wow. So that was around around a year ago now, if if I'm if I'm correct. Seven seven ish months. Yeah. Seven ish so. months. We're still in the first year. How was that been watching her grow and, and begin to, to learn? I so I know nothing about I don't have any children. I'm really uneducated about like how how humans progress in the early, you know, in the mm. early moments. So like what what happens in the in the in the first seven months? What what has that been like as a as a father, and um, how have you handling that? It's funny you you talk about you know being uneducated and stuff because I I remember before I tried to get books and start reading it and I'd go through the book and it's just like this doesn't feel like it's helping me. It doesn't feel like it's preparing me. And I I, I think there is an element where you just have to you know get in it and, and see it unfold because it's so different than than what you think. It's it's been really powerful, and I think it it represents kind of just a theme in my life where I, I in the past tried to take a very planful approach, tried to be very controlling of like, whether it's business or fitness or like setting a goal and trying to, to guide it. And I think one thing you really quickly realize with a kid is like, that just is not how it works. Um, and you can create conditions to support the child, but it's, it's really, they're going to kind of unfold on their own is, is my experience so far. And it's just been interesting of how much she's come into the world and how quickly she had a little personality and, and watching how, you know, her desire to move just emerged at a really young age. So like, I'll never forget, you know, really young, um, she was, you know, starting to try to roll over or, you know, starting to pick her head up. Um, and so you're seeing this child discover the world for the first time and kind of take in the environment. And yeah, it's been, it's been really fascinating for me as someone who's interested in all this stuff. Like, you know, one example is just, you know, thinking about how they respond to us. And so, you know, when she was crying and, and getting upset, you know, early on, it, it feels really helpless. And like, you know, what, what do you do to, to support that child? And I had been learning about breath work and humming. And so I one day experimented with just holding her and like doing this breathing humming sound and she immediately calmed down. I was like, oh, wow, like this is like, this is magical. Um, and so, yeah, there's just been, I mean, so many different, different threads and it's, it's tough to describe. And, you know, I, I, I imagine that, you know, everybody's experience is a bit different, but mine has been, been pretty cool. At what point, so I'm, I'm thinking of like seminal moments. There's like first, first steps, first words, and kind of like first solid food, I guess, are the three mm. things that come to mind as, as these like big moments of progression towards the, you know, personhood or, you know, becoming um, less, less of a helpless newborn and, and more into, and, and what fascinates me as well is, is how almost 
helpless humans are, are born compared to the rest of the animal kingdom. I saw a video the other day of an elephant give birth, gave birth and the, the baby just kind of plopped out onto the ground, rolled and just like kind of walked away. And it was like, but we, we need like much more care and nurturing. And, and um, for, for a long time, it seems like are any of those sort of milestones within the first year or have you, have you surpassed any of those yet? Yeah, no, those are, those are all still ahead of us. So she hasn't taken a step. She's not saying words. I mean, very vocal, like, you know, I think around six months, maybe a month or a month and a half ago, she just started cackling and making all of these noises, which is, it's cool to see that, like just, you know, this whole new, new terrain for her. Um, and we have started to introduce some food. So, you know, seeing her, you know, pick up a piece of chicken and shove it in her mouth, she's still just kind of gumming it. But uh, just that primal desire to like grab a piece of meat and, and, and munch on it, you know, to see a, a six and a half month old start to do that. Um, yeah, it's, it's wild. I mean, I think in, in, you know, today's world, more and more people are encouraging just baby led activities. So, you know, the food approach is called baby led weaning, where you're just introducing them to more traditional real food rather than, you know, blended food or, or other stuff. And the goal isn't to give them a bunch of nutrients, but just to get them comfortable, let them direct their activity. And I think that that's something that's been a theme is just trying to encourage the, the child to direct activity as much as possible versus our, us jumping in and doing it for them. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see those things that I th she's just on the cusp of really taking off crawling. She can roll all the way across the room and knowing her personality, once she starts crawling, it's game over. We're going to be chasing around, her, chasing her for the rest of our lives. <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome what is it what is it like hearing listening to her laugh oh dude dude if you if you want your heart to melt it's just you know have your your child laugh like there's a few things that um that get her going but like a deep belly laugh like that's it like i i i don't need anything else in my life at this point it's just you know just that that deep beautiful belly laugh and you're just like every every other thing in the world just melts away and you're just like this you don't want to experience mindfulness or being in the moment like that that activity is i want to bottle that up and just be able to to have that whatever yeah so you're it's funny you mentioned you're, you're describing yourself as you know having no idea what it'd be like but all the all the moments you're you're asking about and and thing you're i feel like you have this intuitive understanding of the of the beautiful moments of early childhood oh man yeah and on some level I think we we all do. Maybe maybe we remember being you know like that at you know deeply sort of subconsciously. But it, I think on the other hand, I, I sort of sense for me just the on the things that you're you're touching on that have that have been just like really you know supportive and, and life giving to to you as a as as a father. And um, yeah, it's it's great to great to hear and great to great to great to be given that sense of of joy and um flourishing because it's pretty easy to fall into the trap of thinking that um like being a father is too much work or like having a kid is is like not something you want to do because it's like you know kids are terrible like that idea is out there and um yeah. so it's it's cool to hear the other another perspective like no this is a beautiful amazing like heart melting experience and i'm sure there is you know plenty of work involved but it sounds like it's definitely worth it yeah, I think a lot of people focus on the how much work it is and how much it changes your life. And <clears throat> there is a real kind of side of that to it, right? Like your life does change and it changes how you think about things and what your days look like and, and all of that. I don't think you can fully describe the ways those things change. And I also don't think that you can fully describe kind of the, the beautiful moments. And so I think it is, it is helpful to do your best at both so people have somewhat of a balanced view. 
because even stuff, I think you hear a lot of people talking about how, you know, it, it prevents them from doing the work they want to do. And, and, you know, they feel that tension. And I haven't experienced that. Like I feel more motivated than ever to do work that is meaningful to me because I want to come home and, you know, look my daughter in the eye and feel like I'm contributing in something that matters. Um, so I, I just, I, I think it's, um, it's super nuanced and, and, you know, specific to the individual, but I definitely 10 out of 10 would recommend. <laughs> awesome. And within that recommendation and the stories that, that you were sharing, you mentioned um, a breathwork experience where, where you were able to help calm your daughter down um, at a stage where, where you didn't know what to do. And I'd like to hear a little more about that and breathwork in general. How has that played out in your life aside from calming crying babies it, have you used that in other situations and, and have you learned um, a lot through that through that practice and process breathwork has been probably the single most impactful modality that i've done in the last few years and i've tried a, a bunch of crap i think as, as you know it's you know I, i'm someone that likes to explore different frontiers and just sample a bunch of everything but yeah, I, I breathwork has been so powerful, and, and shout out to Johnny Miller, um, who I think you, you at least know of. Um, he he has this course, Nervous System Mastery, where I really first encountered a lot of this stuff, um, and he's just a deep thinker on this. But what I love about breathwork is the fact that we have it with us at all times, right? So it's not this drug that we need to take. It's not this state that we need to like spend years trying to get to. We all are breathing every moment, and we're either doing so intentionally or we're just kind of not sub- not thinking about it and letting it happen. But what's so powerful is if you're intentional with it, if you, you know, slow it down or speed it up or breathe more through your nose, or, you know, there's a technique called alternate nostril breathing, which particularly is calming. Um, there's a form of bellows breath where you breathe into your belly intentionally that can invigorate you. And so there's these really just simple techniques that can shift your state. And so if instead of like taking, you know, coffee or all these different external stuff, we can just use our own breath to modulate our states so that we can kind of show up in the world the way we want or feel the way we want, or just kind of have a little bit more space so we don't react and just kind of lose ourselves in a, in a stressful moment. So that piece of it's been super powerful. Have you, how much have you explored those types of kind of just simple breathwork techniques? I've dabbled, uh, I've wanted to dive deeper and I've spent too much time researching and, and reading and not enough time in in practice mm. so i think what i need to cross that bridge is just like some sort of protocol or, or way to integrate these these sort of practices and modalities into my life i think one thing that confuses me or, or sort of stops me from diving in is the fact that there are so many different like there's this entire menu of, of different sort of breathwork styles and, I, and i'm not sure like yeah. well which one do i learn first there's like all this counting, there's like box breathing and there's like four, seven, eight, and there's like the alternate nostril. There's like all these different, you know, practices and protocols um, that one can engage with. How did you, how'd you go about like picking one to learn first and, and um, have you like done them all and found that just some of them were kind of better off for your physiology or like, how did that, how did that play out? I think that's where the kind of the framework that, that Johnny provided was super helpful because I'd explored breath work before but it was sort of like exploring meditation on my own where I was doing it, but I didn't really have context that made it really stick or, or had the impact that it, it, it could. And I think one of the pieces that is most foundational for me was recognizing this idea that Johnny introduced, which is called interoception. 
And so are you familiar with that? I can, I can define it for everybody, but I, I'm just curious if, if that's something that you're, you're aware of. I believe we've talked about this a little bit. It's somewhere of like the, in this sensation of your internal environment, right? It's like a kind of yeah. a seventh sense or something. Yeah. So if we think about like a sight and sound and smell, it's all of these senses that we're taking in from outside of us, the external world. And interoception is, you know, the inner landscape, the terrain of, of sensory experiences from within our body, the heart rate, the, you know, blood pumping in your arms, lactic acid as you finish a workout, um, the way your breath changes, you know, the tingling sensation of the ground as it comes up through your feet. There's a whole world here. And I don't know about, you know, you, but for most of my life, I just ignored it. Like I was like, oh, that's not useful. Um, and so I just like disconnected or people talk about being disembodied or disassociated. And those are all kind of the opposite of this. And so as I was encountering breathwork this time, you know, Johnny was nudging us to really focus on the inner terrain, the sensory experience. And that was just a huge unlock for me because it started to help me notice when I do this certain technique. So if I do alternate nostril breathing, I notice how my body calms down, not this like abstract calm, like concept of calm, but the physiological state of calm where your heart rate slows down. And what does that actually feel like in your body? Or if you're doing bellows breath, like what does it feel like as your heart rate increases and your, you know, adrenaline starts coming up. And so I'd say that, you know, as somebody explores breath work, rather than focusing on what's the perfect technique for you, I would say, just get super curious, like get really interested in your own inner experience and then test different things and see what it feels like. And before long, rather than taking the protocol from someone else, you just start to kind of find what, what feels good and what fits. Cause it's like, it is very context specific. Like if you're trying to go to sleep, probably not good to do a technique that's going to jack you up. Yeah. Yeah. This is a fascinating aspect of reality. On one hand, it's really having a, a resurgence and uh, it's, it's growing in popularity for, for obvious reasons. It's, it's free, it's accessible and, and it's effective. You know, three aspects of powerful tool that that we could all learn to integrate and use and it's it just blows my mind that we you know can go through life until we're in our late 20s and find out about this something that it's like oh this thing that you're doing like all day every day kind of like automatically if you take some intention with that and structure it in a certain way you can really have a, a positive impact on your experience in life. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. The The fact that it, it took so long to kind of discover that in my own life, I'm, I'm quite almost frustrated about it because I just know how much it could have served me earlier. For people who are, are curious about this, there's a book, Breath, um, by James Naster, that is a really good introduction on how much we're missing this focus in our society and how the way we breathe is negatively affecting ourselves. It's, it's just, so as I look at it, I think that just as we've seen, like mindfulness is everywhere. Now meditation is everywhere. Like it, 10, 15 years ago, it was sort of this fringe thing that people did. And now you can't go into a corporate setting without people talking about mindfulness and meditation. It's really blown up. I think that breath work will have the same trajectory over the next 10 years. Like I think if you look back 10 years from now, people, most people will have some kind of breath work protocol. Um, that's, that's my hope. And, and I think that the momentum is there. I think it's short and quick too compared to meditation, like it's even more convenient than, you know, like I'd say like minimum effective dose for meditation, probably 13 to 20 minutes. If you're going to look at it through the lens of like, what's the least amount I have to do to get, to get something out of this with breath. I've, I've read that just seven proper breaths can shift your state sort of noticeably and, and physiologically. I think that was a study out of Japan and, and even just, 
a small tweak of like most people. Okay, most people aren't aware of of all these breathwork sort of up level protocols, and and that's fine. Like shifting their state, that's sort of this upcoming, this emerging wave. I'd say the other part of that coin is most people just have like a broken breath dynamics where they aren't breathing sort of diaphragmatically. Even just learning that years ago was was a massive um, breathing more into my belly as opposed to up in my chest. That led me to standing at a desk pretty much all day, every day, because I'm able to do that. And I'm not able to when, it, when I'm seated. And that's big. That's That has a massive impact on, on your moment-to-moment qualia, just, just the way that your body-mind works. And I'm excited for the, the potential that this has, the, the potential that this has to, to shift the health of, of, of our population because it it's really needed. One more piece on the, the breathwork versus meditation, because I think it's super important for, for myself, especially when I did meditation, it was always felt very top down from my head. So as some, I'm somebody that just tend, has a tendency to get in their head, to overthink things, to be very kind of thinking centric. And meditation, you know, as you're, as you're doing that, can, can even, re- there's, there's ways to not do that, but often it reinforces that dynamic. Breathwork is a very, you know, bottoms up, body centric approach. And so if you use it in a way, it can get you out of your head and into your body. And that shift of embodiment is one that I had to learn way later in life than I should have. And I think a lot of our society is stuck in their head and getting back into their body. And that's why exercise is so powerful, people, because even if they're not aware of it, it often is getting people out of their head and into their body. They're on a run, they're jogging along, they're thinking about all their stuff for work, and then boom, all of a sudden that just disappears. And they're feeling the meditation of their foot hitting the ground and their breath. And it's just, they're, they're in their body. And that shift, I think, is, is just profound for people when it happens. Oh, man, what a beautiful riff. Well said. Yeah, that is, that is so true. And I, I could be wrong about this, but I believe that you shared with me, you, you integrate breath work sort of before and or after your, your exercise sessions. Is that true? Yeah. It, and, and there's so many different uses for it. So, you know, one, just having an awareness of it as you go through a workout can be a really powerful way to get into your body. So if you're going through, you know, a, a cardio s- session, experience how it changes throughout. If you're, if you're doing, you know, a set of squats, like you have to breathe. If you're doing 10 squats, like you can't just hold your breath for that. So it has to happen whether you have awareness of it or not. Um, so that's during the workout, but there's some really powerful research. Um, and I, and you know, Huberman covered this in one of his episodes, I believe the one with, um, with Dr. Jappin, um, who's an amazing exercise physiologist. And it was about the power of breath work at the end of a workout for recovery. So it was something as simple as like five minutes of slow breathing, cadence breathing. Say you do like a four second inhale and a six second exhale, just doing that for five minutes, it significantly improves recovery. And the reasoning behind it or the way they described it was at the end of a workout, your stress levels, all these things have been elevated. And so if you just go through that breathing, you reset your nervous system. You, you create a shift to kind of like start the recovery process. And so it doesn't, it, you don't stay in that elevated state for two, three hours after. And that can significantly improve recovery. So that would be almost a way to shift your body into the parasympathetic, you know, rest and digest state. Exactly. Yeah. But it makes sense, right? Like, if, you know, if you don't do that, if you're not intentional, your body can just stay elevated. And, and so it's how these things are all, all super connected. You know, do it in the, in the shower while you're, you're like, it, there's no excuse to say you don't have time. Like, just find those five minutes. If you're going to exercise for 50 minutes, why not spend five minutes 
aiding your recovery so you can come back and, and exercise more. Yeah. From like a habit forming perspective, I know that habit stacking is, is helpful. So if you already have the habit of, of like working out, then just layering in some, some breathwork practice. I'm saying this partially for myself is just like before and or after the, the workout session is, is a great way to sort of integrate that habit as well, especially when you have the knowledge that you just shared, that idea that, hey, this is going to enhance your recovery because you're shifting from the high intensity sort of sympathetic state of, of a workout into a more parasympathetic rest and recover state. You're actively, you know, manually shifting on a car from like high gear down to a lower gear because otherwise that shift, if you're going to wait for it to happen naturally, might take a while. While you're saying that, what, what's coming up to me is I wonder if this is partly related to your perspective on like nature-based movement, because I think that so often people are working out in, you know, fluorescent lights in a gym and you're working out in kind of the relaxing setting of nature. And so I wonder if as you're doing that, it's, it's more naturally enabling your, your body to shift between these states. That's an excellent point. Yeah. The many myriad sort of infinite factors that, that present themselves while you're out in nature are, are parasympathetic in the, in themselves, which is really clunky kind of nerdy way to say that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just like very relaxing, just hearing birds chirp, having sunshine, you know, being able to see the clouds kind of float by trees moving in the breeze, like just being out in nature has been shown to be very relaxing and, and alleviating of, of much of the tension and the stress that we feel from a lot of it's just being stuck in, in modern structures. So it's, yeah, I think I agree. Um, it's definitely going to be somewhat enhancing in that regard. Um, or at least more relaxing, you know, taking the nature pill, being out there. Um, and I, I, I would even imagine that, that breathwork in that setting as, as well is going to be amplified as opposed to doing it indoors um do you, do you kind of focus on being outside when you engage with breathwork practice or, or do you also um kind of do it inside it doesn't really matter where, where it's at i do both I, I definitely i mean prefer outdoors anytime i can or even just sitting on you know a, a porch or, or getting that fresh air um but yeah i mean a big shift i mean i work out mostly in a garage gym so i can open up the the door and and just pop out between sets um any, any time just getting outside, I feel like to connect the dots on this and, and kind of what we were talking about earlier on the nature pill, I just think it's so clear how it affects us. And I think one of the ways I see that is with our daughter. So it's like if she's kind of being fussy and in a bad mood and I take her for a walk and get inside of a trail with trees, like immediately she just calms down. And if I take her out back into our garden where there's a bunch of plants and all this stuff growing, she calms down. And so I was, I was noticing that one day and I was thinking, I was like, wait, the same thing happens for me. And I, I had never made the connection for myself of like, it's actually pretty easy. Like if I'm in a bad mood, if I'm frustrated about something with work, it's like, if you go to a trail, all that kind of just melts away. If I, if I, I walk out to my garden, it, the same thing happens to me, but I had to see it through my daughter first to really make the connection. That's a deep, deep truth. And an awesome experience to see that sort of go full circle through the reflection of, of your daughter. And you mentioned visiting your, your garden. I, I know you've, you've written some popular pieces on this as well on, on Twitter about the gardening that, that you've done and, and how it's shaped your mind and, and your life. And um, just, just the act of, of engaging with, with creating a food forest. 
what was it? What was the catalyst for that? How did you get started with with growing food? Oh, we're, we could we could probably talk about this all day. the The impetus was it was like a lot of people beginning of 2020. I just moved into a new house, and I'd always been interested in healthy food. Like I used to have a healthy food local business. I loved kind of regenerative agriculture, visiting farms, reading books about all this stuff. But I realized like I'd never actually done it. I'd never grown my own food. I was always one step removed from the production of the things that I ate. And so just this idea that I could just plant a garden, grow the vegetables that I ate, that I could I could bring more life into my own backyard. I, I think I was also craving because I, I'm someone that loved hiking, doing these things. And it was just a bit harder at the beginning of 2020 with COVID and, and all of these variables. And so I was like, wait, I can bring nature into my backyard. I can create a space where the birds can visit me, where all this stuff can come together. And so I just started to go down that that rabbit hole. And, and it just, I see this with a ton of people and friends. It just sucks you in. Like if you start gardening, it, it, it usually just results in people ending up like, kind of jumping in full force. And that definitely happened with me. So um, once you start, it's hard to stop. What was the, what was this, the scale? Would it, could you, is it possible to sort of paint the, paint the picture for anyone listening as to like what this, what this place looked like that, that you were stewarding and cultivating? So I live on a quarter acre in a very typical suburban environment where most houses just have kind of just grass up front, some, um, shrubs, a few trees, and kind of a big, big backyard. And that's that's what we inherited when we moved in. And I'm grateful for the size because I, I don't know how people jump in with more than that because I was I was overwhelmed with, with just that. So the first thing I did was I knew, I knew I wanted vegetables, so I planted raised beds and put a fence in so that we wouldn't have kind of just animals eating all of our, our food. And I, I just knew the spot that had the best sun. Although, you know, what you realize once you start is how much the sun angle changes throughout the year. And so my one encouragement for people is really be patient as you're starting because you'll, you'll start to see things that you never realized before. So thankfully, I, I put that in a good spot that had year-round pretty much, you know, sun throughout the day. And that was, that was the most of what I did the first year because I just was overwhelmed and didn't want to do too much else. But I started to, I got advice from some really experienced people that said, just watch the land, see what, see what's happening. And you'll start to like figure out things and you'll know, you know, where to plant stuff. And so within a year I started planting blueberry bushes. Um, I planted some strawberries. Um, I added a bunch of like, you know, native plants that brought in birds and, and animals. And then quickly I started realizing, well, I can just plant vegetables intermixed with all that stuff. So my vegetable garden went from this like one contained area to starting to spill over everywhere. Um, then I added kind of a pecan tree. Um, and so this is like all of the, the surface stuff. And, and one thing as this is coming up as I'm describing this, the, the part that I actually like as the person that did it appreciate more is like how much the soil changed during that. So it's like the things that other people could see the the trees, the shrubs, that was exciting. But when I got there, the, the ground was just clay. It was baking in the sun. It was holding water. It was not very productive or good for gardening. And so the effort I invested to improve the soil is actually, as I'm describing this, the thing that comes out as like what I'm most proud of, because to see how much that changed. How involved was that process? I know soil is really the root of, of all life. And in a lot of ways, it's just, it's not just, just dirt. There's an enormous volume of microbial life in there. Something like one teaspoon of soil has more life, more beings in there than all the stars in the universe or something insane. It's just 
chock full of, of vibrant activity and, and microbial you know, life. It's, it's really, if you think about it, all the action on this world isn't above the surface. It's really in the soil. We're just, we're these like giant monsters mm. up here, just like lumbering around, but like on, beneath our feet is there this like amazing world of, of crazy characters. Was, were you very active in restoring that soil or was it, was it a difficult, difficult process? I think what you're describing is so critical and it's something that before I started gardening, I just ignored. Like I, I don't think people that aren't growing things really realize the amount that the soil is like this resource, this vitality for us. And, and if we lose it, which is happening with a lot of the, the modern ways of farming, mono you know, crops and just like growing things for production and not thinking about the soil, um, it's a huge problem. And it's something that, that I, I worry a lot about now. But in our own case, like we got there I just could tell, I mean, digging in it, that it was, it was really clay, clay heavy, which is, is problematic, but also an opportunity because if you leave it, things can, you know, can dry out, it can hold water, things can die, but the clay has a lot of natural fertility. And so if you're able to break it up to add more, more stuff to it, the soil can become really good. And so that was my approach was to just try to support what was there and to kind of loosen it. So I planted things like, um, you know, radishes that would really kind of burrow down into the soil. And then you cut, you cut them off and leave them and they kind of rot and they, they leave their nutrients and they open up the soil or you plant these cover crops that bring in nitrogen and their roots start to go in there. So yeah, I, I think when I first looked at it, I was like, oh, I'll just bring in a bunch of compost and I'll start to add these amendments that will fix it. And those, those are helpful, but they'll only take you so far. And they actually really seem to kind of the impact dissipates very quickly. And so what I found was the, the most valuable was letting the plants do the work themselves. So finding things that you could plant in that soil that would go in and they would open it up for you. They'd add the fertility for you. And I think this is really mimicking nature most naturally. Like if you follow like ecosystems, they go through this process um, where there's these frontier species that when the soil isn't good, they come in and they kind of take on life and then those plants die and they add to the soil and then the next plant comes in. And so this is like the permaculture concept of succession. And it's just this process at which kind of a ecosystem can go from only being habitable for like a few plants to being like a vibrant food forest. That's amazing. I love that concept of, of a frontier species and working with nature and, and planting the radish and then lopping it off and leaving it there is, is, is all really incredible. And yeah, like you said, the soil, soil dying, I'd say that would be our, based on everything I've read, that's got to be the, the primary issue that we face as a, as a species, um, regardless of the mainstream uh, coverage that it gets. It's, that's got to be issue number one. And the root cause of, I'd say, many other issues down the line that a link that is not being made by, by a lot of people who are sort of investigating these issues in silos. But um, yeah. And you've started to grow your own food too, right? Like I've seen. Yeah. So we um, weirdly in Los Angeles, there's not, you know, much land to go around, but weirdly the apartment that we moved into, there's every unit, there's like eight units gets a, a small garden plot out back. So it's like a, I don't know, a couple feet by a couple feet, uh, maybe two or three feet by four or five or six feet um, out back. And yeah, it's just started out as blank canvas. And then we've just kind of been experimenting with what we can grow. I um, found that, you know, Glenn, some tomatoes, got a ton of tomatoes, strawberries seem to do really well out here. And um, got like two or three blueberries out of a little blueberry bush. And it's, it's really joyful to see something that you plant grow, flourish, and then make food that you can eat. It's uh, an amazing experience that 
yeah, it would have been ancestral and, and, and pretty deeply woven into our, our life ways as, uh, as humans living on this planet outside of, you know, the year 2000. So yeah, it's, it's deeply satisfying. Yeah. I, I warn people as they start, like I'm, I say, Hey, fair warning, that shit will change. <laughs> like if you start growing your food, it will change how you think about things. You'll go in the, you'll go into the grocery store. I'll never forget. I tried to grow broccoli the first year and I, grew the seedlings, I had them under lights, then I brought them outside, then I planted them, then I gave them all these things. And I had like four or five, you know, broccoli plants. And I was like, I'm going to eat for, you know, a week. It's going to be great. I'm going to have all this stuff. And I, they grew and I got one crown from each. It was like, I brought it, I cut it up. My wife goes, wait, that's like all you have? And it was like one meal's worth. It was, it was months of effort and, and one meal's worth. And so then now I'm at the grocery store and I see these just, you know, decadent broccoli crowns. And I'm like, wow, like I feel gratitude for the people that grew those and how abundant that is. And it also is, you know, just a testament of how much goes into our kind of modern food system that we never see. And so that's why I think that growing, even, even if you have a small space like you are, even just growing a few things is so powerful because it connects you to that process. It, it brings you back to understand those kind of primal pieces that, that we all rely on, whether we see it or not. It does connect you deeper to the whole system and really makes it, made me makes me live it about just food waste how much food gets wasted because there's so much energy and effort that goes into uh, creating that piece of food that then either gets tossed away because someone doesn't want to eat it or save it or um, because it doesn't look you know aesthetic enough to sell um, at a whole foods but it's also fascinating from from the standpoint of of the the health that, that we get from it so yeah, it, it's certainly relaxing being out there, but there's also that soil that you're, you're tending to is, is nourishing your microbiome and your holobiome, that microbial life in the ground that, that you're cultivating. There's synergy between that and, and your body. So you're inhaling that and that's going to make you a healthier human down the line. Absolutely. At a, at a, at a very you know, scientific level, they are studies that show that the nutrient, nutrient quality of a broccoli or another vegetable grown in really good soil versus one that isn't is it's different right it would make sense right like why would you expect to grow a vegetable in crap soil and a really fertile nutrient-dense soil and expect them even if they look the same to be the same you know like it, it just doesn't make sense and so you know once you see that it's like you're giving yourself the gift of highly nutritious vegetables but we really all should be taking into account like you know how nu like how nutrient dense are the things and what's happening with our food system that's either supporting that and that's why i i just think that like the more we're leaning on focusing on the soil focusing on regenerative agriculture where it's taking into account the full ecosystem involved in that and not just these like mass production ways of growing as much of everything as we can like i think that i think that we need to be really cautious about what's what's missing when we look at some of these new newer ways to to mass produce food absolutely it, it's so important and it's this idea is emerging and growing and, and spreading and cultivating even a small backyard garden garden plot will absolutely contribute to that awareness and that respect and that gratitude which, which are all very important emotional states which in a way our emotional states are our soil for what we grow and what we sprout into the world so you know we've got this whole sort of system of life that that is supportive from the ground up from a grassroots level creating humans that are, that are more aligned with the rhythms of nature with the harmony of life and then are able to create more harmonious more flourishing life supportive um, 
work in, in the world, creative work, and, and also just the love that we're able to, to give and share. And it's all kind of rooted in the soil and, and the way we interact with it. Totally. I couldn't agree more. I'll give you one last example because it's, uh, it's funny for me to look back on and it connects back to the, the sports we talked about earlier. So I grew up playing sports and, you know, I'm kind of a, a competitive person just by, by personality. And so I just had this mindset of competition that I brought to everything, to business. I would, you know, I viewed it as a competition. Um, I, and, and it's funny now to see how all these other places where I just subconsciously brought this mindset of competition into it. And then once I started a garden, that metaphor that I was living by of like, like life as a, as a competitive sport just started to shift. And now I really like the word competition is, is softened for me. And the word that is, that's taken its place is cultivation. Like the amount of time I've spent gardening has just shifted that, that dominant metaphor in my life to like cultivation. And that kind of goes across all these different themes around fitness, around business. Like it's, it's really, it's, it's funny to see how much that has changed my day-to-day approach. Wow. That's, that is powerful. That is powerful. All from interfacing with a garden, growing food, cultivating plants, the art of gardening and tending to the soil. And, and now you recently sold this place. You're moving north. What is, what is it going to be like leaving that, leaving mm. that garden behind? Is it going to be a, a difficult goodbye? Are the new buyers so stoked to have it? Uh, it seems like they're interested in, uh, in, in gardening. So that's good. It would have been painful to see them come in and just immediately pull everything out and, and, and replace it just with, you know, yard and, and all that. But it, 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 I do feel a sense of sadness and it, it's, it's not, it's not just the sadness of like leaving it behind, but also I had this whole vision and I planted a pecan tree this year because I wanted to see it grow over the next 20 years. And so as I'm doing this, this process really helped me shift from thinking in terms of a season or a year into, you know, five years and a decade. And so I think when you're, when you're growing a food forest, your, your time frame really, really changes. And so I feel this deep sense of, of sadness about that, but, but it, but it's really a, I feel gratitude too. And, and, um, I was fortunate enough to, to chat with one of the founders of permaculture that, that, you know, talks a lot about this and, um, he said, you know, it, it perfectly. It's like, even if you're renting, whatever you give to the land, it will give you more back. And I thought that was so beautiful because it's like, it'd be so easy for me to just look at this and be like, what a waste of time. But it's like, I've gotten so much from there and I have all these things that I can now bring to this, this new place. And so I, it's brought up a lot of questions around this idea of place and how do you embrace it? And even if you're not going to be there forever, how do you think about a place in terms of kind of not just right now, but a, a longer time frame? But I, I I do feel very sad about leaving it behind. <laughs> well, I um, guess you have an opportunity to start start fresh. Are you, you going to go bigger and, and, and more mm-hmm. more audacious out, out there in, at your new place? Or um, are you going to give up gardening for good? No, I've, 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 I've gone too far down the rabbit hole. I'm, I'm, I'm quite addicted to, to the gardening at this point. I think where we're going, there is more land, more space to do it. Um, which I feel excited about. I think it's also just reinforces a need to go slow. Like I, I, I my natural tendency is just to jump in. Um, but you know, we're, we're planning to be here for, for many, many years, you know, hopefully the rest of our life. And so I think that that slowing down, um, will be critical and just kind of getting to know the land a bit. It's also a totally different climate. So I've cut my chops in, in North Carolina where, um, very warm for most of the year. We've gotten a lot of rain the last couple of years. It's a very, easy place to grow food for those reasons. And I'm moving to the New England area where it's much shorter season, colder, you know, rain comes and goes. And so 
I think it's going to be a process to kind of relearn how to, how to grow food in that, in those conditions. One thing that is coming up for me now, just based on everything you've shared, being interested in gardening and in breath work, I think on, on its surface, someone may hear that and think, well, you're into sort of like kind of alternative, more, more hippie things. But I, I hear that and I, I sense someone who's very driven to help, help themselves kind of overcome challenges and help the world at large because these are important and, and powerful techniques, principles, strategies, really, really powerful aspects of life that, that you're embracing, despite the fact that they may be a little bit weird and fringe. I don't think that matters because it's hearing you describe them, how it's shaped and changed your life, made it better. And, and I know that this is accessible and, and helpful for, for other people who will be listening or interested in, in improving their lives. And I guess I'm just curious, what, what drives you? What, what, what is driving you to, to learn and, and to engage with, with life in, in such a passionate and, and powerful way? Damn, that's a big question, Case. Um, it's, uh, it's funny. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of ambition, identity, and work. Um, this last year, just as a lot of things in my life are, are moving around, we're moving, you know, the, the child. And I realized that in the past, I had this very kind of singular view of ambition and identity, and it was very work-centric. And I think that has to do with our culture in, in, a, in the U.S., where there's such an achievement orientation, there's so much identity, and people, you know, always ask you, what do you do for work? I also think it's partly because I identified so much as a baseball player, and that was so defining for me growing up. That when I lost that, I had this like this desire to replace that with a single thing. So a large part of my career for the first ten years was just trying to find something to replace that, and getting frustrated when it never when it never really did, or it didn't feel right, or it felt a bit limiting. And so in the last year, two years, as I've started to really lean in on some of these more kind of personal passion projects, I just realized like those can be sources to channel your ambition. That can be places to kind of build identity that's more kind of diverse, it's broader, and it's not just defined by one thing. And as I've done that, it just feels way better. And I think that my what drives me, my ambition, is really just to live a life where I feel alive doing the things I'm doing day to day. Like I just I just want to feel that zest for life where you're if you're working, you're working and you're enjoying it and you're finding the creativity in your work and you're finding the challenge and the satisfaction of adding value and, you know, capturing some of that value for yourself and your family. And if you're not working and you're gardening, like you're doing, you're just embracing that. Like you're not half-assing it. You're, you're, you're doing it, you know, with, with the same zest that someone might pursue a startup or, you know, growing a company. And yeah, as I've, as I've brought in those, those areas to channel my ambition, it, it's just felt really, really satisfying. And, and I, I feel an energy to keep doing that. Awesome. And I've always appreciated connecting with you and, and, and having some of that passion and light share, uh, shed off on, on the me and, and absorbing some of that is, is, is always awesome. So I appreciate the time that you've taken. It's fu- it's so funny you say that because I feel like that's the number one thing that I saw with you, right? Like when I met you, I I was just blown away by the zest you had for all these other areas of life. And like, you know, I bet most people that know you have no idea what you do for work. Like, you know, you have this this very kind of like broad and deep set of activities that you pursue with with a level of seriousness, right? Like 
that you're, you're pursuing these things as a craft, whether it's your movement practice, your creativity. I mean, even this podcast, like I feel like the way in which you jumped in and just brought everyone together to do it, like these are all things you're pursuing as a craft and none of them are like what you do for work. <laughs> yes, we, we're definitely kindred spirits from that angle and from, from a lot of angles. So it, it's always good to connect with, with another, another brother on the path. And um, yeah, it's, uh, it's the only way to live. I think on one half, I see myself like I look at myself from like a third person perspective. I'm like, dang, that guy's a lunatic. He's absolutely insane. But then like the other half is like, well, that's the only way to live. You know, like all this is insane. You either embrace it or you shy away from it and lock yourself sort of into a box that, you know, society says this is the box that you need to stay in. And um, that box isn't the place to be. I've, I've been there and uh, you got to escape. You got to escape that box and, and branch out and explore whatever lights you up and, one of my favorite quotes, and oddly, I can't quite remember it at this time, but it goes a little something like, you know, your purpose and meaning in this world is, is, is to do what lights you up because the world needs more people who are who are lit up. Mm. And, and, you know, that fire that you have in your eyes, that light that you shine out that helps other people go through life. And it, it doesn't have to be, you know, what society says. It doesn't have to be through work or something, you know, predefined. It, it can be your own path. So is there anywhere that you'd like to send folks on online or anything else that you'd like to kind of share on, on all that. Yeah. I mean, I, I love connecting with people on, on Twitter to, to chat about these ideas. My handle is just SC underscore Sager. I'm sure case can, can link to it. The, the place that's kind of becoming the collection of all my work is, is on renewal.com. So I'm taking these ideas around fitness, around gardening, around some of the kind of business activities I've done in the past and just trying to bring them together in a place that looks at it through this lens of how do we create conditions to respond to change and evolve in the face of, of all of this. Right. And so, um, there's a podcast where I, I chat with others about that. I, I write a newsletter where I'm just exploring those ideas in my, my own life. Um, but yeah, I love, I love, I mean, love chatting with everyone in case this has been such a treat. It's, uh, it's fun to be able to have a conversation that bounces around across so many themes. Um, like you said that, you know, I'm not one to want to be put in a box. And so it's, it's largely just like, let's break out of that and let's just see where the, the conversation unfolds to. So this has been a, a ton of fun. Powerful. Sam, thank you. Case, absolutely. Always fun to chat.